0: Good morning. Welcome to Axios today. It's Wednesday, May 17th. I'm Nyla Boudou. Today, a new report says abortion bans lead to life-threatening complications, plus the latest in the debt ceiling negotiations. But first, the company behind ChatGPT asked Congress to regulate AI. That's today's One Big Thing.
1: My worst fears are that we cause significant, we, the field, the technology, the industry, cause significant harm to the world.
0: That's Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI, the company that makes ChatGPT, testifying before a Senate Judiciary Committee meeting yesterday about oversights for generative AI. It's Altman's first public appearance since ChatGPT emerged as a tool that could eventually augment or even replace thousands of jobs. And Ashley Gold says Altman's call for regulation is historic. Hey,
2: Ashley. Hi there. So is historic not because he called for regulation? It's sort of the timing of when he's calling for regulation. Companies like Facebook and Google didn't really say that they were amenable to regulation from the U.S. Congress until it became clear that the European Union and individual states like California were going to pass their own laws. And then they thought, hey, we could really use some federal regulation so we're not caught up in all these different laws. So the fact that Sam Altman is doing this sort of so early into the public sphere, being aware of generative AI, that's what's notable here.
0: So Sam Altman expressed support for an international agency to set standards for AI, saying it should be like how we regulate nuclear weapons?
2: Yeah. We've heard that sort of talk in the tech industry before. They really like having sort of international bodies to do standard setting. But to hear the reference that it's, you know, similar to nuclear power or something like that, that's pretty stunning. Here in the U.S., he has called for an agency, maybe that would be like the Federal Trade Commission, the Food and Drug Administration, to specifically put out rules and licenses for AI, which is pretty notable.
0: So Congress isn't exactly known for having a great track record when it comes to regulating tech. Senators talked about their mistakes with regulating social media. Ashley, how is
2: this going to be different? With social media... I think there was a big honeymoon period where the tech CEOs like Mark Zuckerberg and Sundar Pichai were seen as sort of these golden children of the U.S. economy. But then that honeymoon period crashed and burned, and now they're seen as, you know, selfish CEOs that only want to make money. That time will come for Altman as well. But at least now they know they've made mistakes in the past. So we'll see. We'll see if they move faster this time.
0: Disinformation was at the forefront of so many questions yesterday, Ashley. What is of most concern here?
2: We saw what happened in 2016 with Russian meddling in our election. I think the thought is with the advent of generative AI, it could be so, so much worse. You know, ChatGPT or Google's Bard could come up with a whole paragraph that you wrote that you didn't write or... Another use of open AI, this is in the early stages, but you can, you know, do something to imitate someone's voice. So there's a lot of dangerous things here. So what happens next? There will be a hearing that has to do with copyright and licensing. There's a lot of concern that these generative AI text snippets will take copyrighted information, songs, published works, things like that, spread them around without credit So I think we'll see more hearings that sort of dive into specific use cases of this AI. And then we'll see a couple bills get debated and marked up, but we'll have to see if there is a consensus in Congress for regulation.
0: Ashley Gold covers tech and tech policy for Axios in Washington. Thanks, Ashley. Thank you. Congressional leaders met with President Biden yesterday in the White House for debt ceiling negotiations as the clock ticks down to make a deal. Axios's Hans Nichols has the latest.
1: What became crystal clear after the meeting is that Kevin McCarthy got what he wanted, at least in terms of the process. The key here is that it's one-on-one and that Kevin McCarthy has the direct negotiation with the president of the United States, which is always what the speaker wanted. Now, there will be sort of big fights and big questions on whether or not this can get through in such a compressed time frame. McCarthy certainly likes the hand that he has right now, and that is that the clock is his friend and that he has been very clear that he's not gonna default, but he's also been very clear that he's passed something to prevent a default. And the president has a pretty complicated next few days. He's gotta to go to Japan. He obviously cut that short. He's not gonna be heading to Papua New Guinea, which for all the historical nerds out there, he won't be the first president to go to Papua New Guinea. But the president has a lot of things on his plate. Kevin McCarthy really just has this. And that's really how the conversation's gonna go now for the next 15 days. And remember, we're always going to get updates periodically from the Treasury secretary that's going to maybe put pressure on, but maybe also relieve a little pressure and say, OK, the X date is June 3rd, say hypothetically. So that's the dynamic we have. Uh, and uh, McCarthy is going to do what he really wants to do, which is sit down with the president and try to figure out how to have some spending cuts.
0: Zaxius political reporter, Hans Nichols. In a moment, doctors share their fears about treating pregnant patients in the face of abortion bans. Welcome back to Axios Today. I'm Nyla Boodoo. State abortion bans have led to life-threatening complications for pregnant patients. That's according to a new report from a research group at the University of California, San Francisco, that supports abortion rights. These bans usually contain exceptions for medical emergencies, but this study shows some pregnant patients are being turned away when they face serious complications because doctors fear the legal blowback for performing or causing an abortion. Axios healthcare reporter Oriana Gonzalez is here to help us dig deeper. Oriana, first, how was this report done?
3: So the UCSF group, along with some researchers at the University of Texas at Austin, gathered around 50 stories from health providers who shared all of these anecdotes anonymously. And they all tell stories about what happened to their patients, whether they were turned away when they had pregnancy complications all because either providers were afraid of breaking abortion bans in their states or even the patients themselves were afraid that they could suffer consequences from looking to terminate their pregnancies in a state where there's an abortion ban, even though they had reached a moment where their pregnancy could be life-threatening.
0: So there are medical exceptions to abortion bans for protecting the life of the mother. But in practicality, is it clear how that plays out?
3: I had spoken to health experts and legal experts before this report came out just a few months ago, and they had already been warning that despite the fact that abortion bans have medical exceptions in cases of emergencies, they found that it would be difficult for doctors to establish what's permissible During an emergency and be able to consult with a lawyer in real time, considering when there's something that's happening that's life threatening, when there's an emergency going on, they might not have enough time to stop and figure out whether they can provide health care to a patient or not. So
0: what are some examples in this report of how medical care for pregnant patients has changed?
3: There were different cases. Health providers spoke about uh, ectopic pregnancies, which can be fatal. And a lot of the times what they saw was that healthcare was being delayed because doctors were consulting with other doctors to see whether they could actually uh, handle a patient's ectopic pregnancy. There was one case where a patient's water broke at around 16 to 18 weeks. The patient managed to deliver the fetus, but the placenta, they couldn't deliver it. And so the doctor had to perform a DNC, which is a common abortion method. The patient, and I quote, bled from everywhere, but ended up surviving. And the doctor, after performing the DNC, again, not delivering the fetus, delivering the placenta, the doctor was afraid that they had broken the law and performed an abortion. And the patient themselves asked the doctor, Did this count as life threatening? Because the patient too thought that they were breaking the law.
0: What are the new legal concerns doctors now have to think about since the repeal of Roe v.ersus Wade? How is this different than the way that doctors have practiced in the past?
3: An abortion ban practically criminalizes a doctor that performs an abortion. So whenever a doctor is faced with a patient that has an emergency and an abortion is what needs to be performed for that specific patient, they have to think about the fact that there are prison sentences that they could uh, face. There's lawsuits that they could be facing. They could lose their medical license to operate in that state. So it's no longer a question of whether this makes them comfortable or uncomfortable or anything like that. It's the fact that what they are doing could
0: potentially find them guilty of a crime. Oriana Gonzalez is a healthcare reporter for Axios. Thanks, Oriana. Thanks, Nyla. And that's it for us today. And if you want to get in touch with us, all the information's in our show notes. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you back here tomorrow morning.